I can tell we're a little pumped up this morning. We all got an extra hour of sleep. We, we, we love that. I know it's, this is like one of my favorite days of the year. I love that, that extra hour of, uh, of sleep. Didn't even have to hit the snooze button this morning, which was great. So uh, if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles out, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, continuing our study through 1 Peter. Um, just a few weeks left in this study of 1 Peter, and we're going to be in verses 7 through 11 today. So if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles out as you're doing that, um, this is a sermon that we've titled over the past few weeks, Armed and Ready, and today is Armed and Ready Part 2. Last week, we, we dove into the text before this, the first six verses of 1 Peter chapter 4. And so if you weren't with us last week, don't worry, we're going to do a little recap of where we started in chapter 4. In order to know where we're at today in verses 7 through 11, we have to know where we were in verses 1 through 6 and what the Lord was telling us through his word. So Last week, the Apostle Peter showed us the importance of preparing for suffering. Now, as we've walked through 1 Peter, we know that this is a letter that was written to the churches in Asia Minor, preparing them for persecution and suffering, showing them how they are to act as Christians, as Christ followers in an exiled world, a world they don't belong in that would persecute them. And so, Peter showed us last week, like soldiers preparing for battle... We are to be prepared for suffering. We saw through the word that we are called to armor up, right? Those are the words that were used in verse 1 of chapter 4 last week, to armor up. Peter showed us that we are to arm ourselves with the weapons the Lord has made available to us in order to withstand suffering and persecution for our faith. We saw last week that we have three weapons to arm ourselves with. The first weapon we saw early in chapter 4 was our mindset. Right, we must armor up with the same mindset of Christ. We must get our minds on the fact that we will suffer as Christians. Right, the Bible forewarns us as that. We will suffer for righteousness' sake. And that suffering always comes before glory. Right, for Jesus, the cross came before the crown. And for us, even if following Jesus causes us to suffer or even costs us our lives... We must continue to follow him, for we know that there is glory in the end for those who are, follow Jesus, who are of Christ. Peter then moved to his second weapon, which is our obedience, that we are to remain focused on Jesus and being obedient to his word. That was the second weapon that Peter gave us last week, to always keep our eyes on Jesus and follow him daily. Even when persecution and suffering rise up against us, we are to remain obedient to Jesus and to his word at all costs. Peter then led us to our final and ultimate weapon, which is our hope in Christ, our eternal hope in Jesus, that no matter how bad suffering gets, that even if it costs us our lives, we have an eternal hope in Jesus after death. After our physical body dies, through Jesus we will live in heaven forever with him. So now that we know what weapons we have to withstand this suffering, like soldiers, again, gearing up for battle, we are armed and ready for that suffering. And this week, as we are armed and ready, Peter's going to show us next what our duty is. Today, we're going to see that we have four duties we are responsible for fulfilling as Christians living in a world that we do not belong, in an exiled world. That's what we're going to dig in today, to today, these four duties that Peter has called us to fulfill. So are we ready to get in the Word this morning? 
All right, let's get after it. First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here, again, we are given four duties in this section of text that we are to fulfill as Christians. The first duty, Peter states in verse 7. Again, in verse 7, he says, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Our first duty we have to is to be sober-minded, to be of sound mind. And verse 7 says to be of sound mind. This word sober here literally means to be of sound mind. We talked last week about the first weapon that was in our arsenal was our mindset, being a weapon in suffering for righteousness, for righteousness' sake. Here, Peter, again, is calling us to have the right mind. In fact, he's calling us to have a sound mind. This is a call to be ready, to be clear, to have our eyes fixed on the will of God, no matter what's happening all around us. There are distractions all around us. And in seasons of suffering, there will be more distractions. Right? When we're suffering physically for Christ, there'll be a lot more distractions that are, just, that are around us right now. Right? Things that will take your mind off abiding in Jesus. I mean, think about your life today. Right? There, right now, there's not much in the way of physical suffering for Christians in America. Right? There's not, there's, it's not happening that close to home. And still, things like our jobs or house renovations or hobbies or sports or our cell phones or Netflix, all these things can and will distract us. They distract us from our time in prayer, our time in the Word, our time with Jesus every week. Right? It's hard enough without these elements of physical suffering to keep from being distracted. Some of the physical suffering that our brothers and sisters are going through throughout the world or the suffering that the people that Peter is writing to in Asia Minor are going through. Right? The physical suffering, the persecution that this church was going through at the time. But Peter is stressing here, no matter what's happening around you, be sober-minded, be in the right mind, and get your focus on Jesus. Right? Peter's not the only apostle to say this. The apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, 14, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. In verse 2, he says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Both these apostles, both Peter and Paul, are stating here, stay focused on Jesus. And Peter says, stay focused on Jesus because the end is at hand. That's how he opens up verse 7. The end is at hand. Here, Peter's discussing the end of days, right? When Jesus will return. This Greek word translated at hand 
is the word injizo. Can you say it with me? Injizo. Okay, there we go. We're learning Greek. Here we go. This word injizo means drawing near, right? That the end is drawing near. It's coming. This, this end that Peter is talking about is the, the return of Jesus. Now, we read in the Bible, we don't know when this is going to happen, but one thing we do know is that every day that we wake up, every day we open our eyes, we are one day closer to seeing Jesus' return. Peter's telling us here to stay of sober mind, stay in the right mindset, waiting, eagerly waiting the return of Christ. We are to stay in the right mind for the return of Jesus. Right? This is part of the motivation to live out this duty. Because when Jesus returns, we will be with him in glory. Right? As you're suffering, if you're going through physical suffering or persecution, be of sober mind during that suffering and persecution with your eyes on the fact that Jesus will return. And when he does, we will be seated with him in glory. We are also to be in right mind so that our prayer will not be affected. The text says this in verse 7 again, to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. When we are distracted and not of sober mind, when we have our mind focused on the things of the world or our fleshly desires or on even our own suffering, what we're going through at the time, we take our mind off of Jesus, it will deter us from abiding in Christ from the word of God. And this will affect our prayer. Our communion with the Lord in his word and prayer are vital at all times. And when we are worried about and stressing about and focusing on the things that are happening around us or in the world or in our flesh, it's going to pull us away from that time with the Lord, the communion with the Lord, which is vital to our walk. It is vital to our walk, but even more vital in times when we are suffering for righteousness sake. Right, the Lord responds to our prayer through his word, and through his word we respond in worship back to him. If we don't have that time, our walk will be lacking. When we are not of sound mind, when we are not clear with our hearts fixed on Jesus, it will directly affect our communion with him. So we must keep focused on Jesus, focused on his word and prayer, regardless of what's going on around us, regardless of what suffering we're going through as Christians. We have to have that mindset, that focus. This is the first duty that we're called to. This is the first duty that Peter calls us to here. But there's more. In fact, there's even something greater that Peter is calling us to here. Look with me in verse 8 to what Peter calls us to next. In verse 8, he says this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. All right, our next duty is to be fervent in love. Right, the next thing that Peter calls us to, now that he's talked to us about having a so, be sober-minded, to be in the right mind, is now he's saying, above all things, to be fervent in love. Right, he's placing this next call to duty above all other calls of duty. He says, above all things. If you're reading the, the King James Version of this, this line of text, it'll say this. It'll say, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. And this word charity, which is translated in your ESV here into the word love, is the word agape, the Greek word agape. In the Greek, which translated means love, but it's a certain kind of love. And if you're familiar with the, the Greek language, there are different 
They're the same translated word. The word love has, can have many different meanings. And so we're going to talk here about agape love, a certain kind of love. And we're going to dive into this word agape love here in just a moment. However, before we do that, we are called to here be fervent in agape love with one another. And this isn't a command that Peter just came up with. In fact, he got this command to, above all things, love one another, this agape love from Jesus himself, who in John chapter 13 told his disciples, which included Peter, in John 13, 34, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. The word used there that Jesus uses is the word agape for love. This is a command given to us as Christ followers by Jesus himself, in which he calls a new commandment. He says, do this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Peter goes a step further here and deeply defines how we are to love one another as Jesus loved us by using two words. The word fervent or earnestly and the word charity or love, agape. Now we're going to dig into the weeds here a little bit, so stick with me, right? We're not, we're not going to go so deep that we lose everybody, but we're going to dig into the weeds just a little bit here, but it'll all come together, so just stick with me here. This word fervent comes from the Greek word that means stretched out forever or unceasing. And this word charity or love, again, is the Greek word agape. This word agape defines the type of love as deep affection, goodwill, benevolence, faithful. So what we're being called to here is to have unceasing, unceasing faithful, deep, benevolent, goodwill love for one another. This isn't the sappy kind of love or the emotional love or even sentimental love that's being described here. This is a love that sustains. The love we're supposed to have for one another is compared to the love that Christ has for us. It's a love that sustains. It's a love that's unconditional. No one can deserve. It's unconditional. It's nothing they can do to earn it. A love that sticks around even if we've been wronged by one another or hurt by one another. Again, this is a word that's described in the Bible over and over again to describe the love that Jesus has for us. Us who were undeserving of a love of a perfect God. Sinners who have done nothing to deserve God's love. But he loves us anyway. The unconditional love of Jesus, who though we are disobedient, still took on our sin. We are called as a church, as a body of believers, to love in this way, like Jesus loved us. A fervent, everlasting, agape love that never ends. Think about what the word is, is telling us here. That we are, as followers of Jesus, to love one another as Jesus loved us. Even if we disagree, even if we dislike each other, even if we are different, even if we wrong one another. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to love one another like Jesus loves us. I keep saying it over and over again because the text keeps saying it over and over again. Jesus said it over and over again. 
love one another as I have loved you. The question here is this, are we doing this? Are we doing this in the church today? Are we loving one another as Christ loved us? Are we loving one another as brothers and sisters through disagreements? Are we unconditionally loving one another? Are we loving one another through mistakes and through sin? Are we doing this? And look what Peter says in the second half of this verse. He says, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And what's that mean? Well, it was through the agape love of Jesus that our sins were covered. The same love that Peter's describing here, it was through this love that our sins were covered by the blood of Christ. Through his unconditional love, his everlasting love, we are saved. In fact, look what John 3.16, everyone knows John 3.16, look what it says. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In fact, look what Paul says in Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Unconditional, unceasing love. The love of Jesus covered a multitude of our sins. And when we love one another, as Jesus has loved us, it will cover any wrongdoing between us. He says, above all, above everything, love one another as I have loved you. We are to love each other as Jesus loves us. This is a duty we've been called to fulfill. There's a reason for all of this. And we will get to that reason, but right now we have to focus on this. This is a command that was given to us by Jesus himself. We are to love one another. As we move forward in the text, it's just going to build and show us why, show us the motivation for this. But let's move forward here, looking with me again in verse 9 at the next duty that Peter is calling us to. Verse 9 says this, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Short verse, very direct, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This word hospitable literally means to love strangers. So now we've just been taken from love one another as Jesus has loved you. And Peter's moving our eyes from loving one one another in our circles, right? In our churches, the people we do ministry with, we go to church with, that we're in small groups with to loving those Christ followers who we do not know personally. He's saying to love strangers, people who are uh, Christ followers in the church who are not in your circles, to support them, to love them, to open our lives to those who are not already ingrained in our communities. I have to tell you that this was me and my family maybe a year or so ago. As most of you know, we we, we moved here just right out a year ago. We were strangers to many people here. We were Christ followers in a new city. And it was encouraging that so many of God's people here in Decatur County opened up their homes to my family. They shared meals with us. They connected with us. They supported us. Many who were outside of the church plant. But there were many people who weren't called to help us plant the rock, who supported us, who broke bread with us, who loved on us, and it was incredible. It was incredible to see that, a community that was welcoming other believers, that was living out 
1 Peter 4, verse 9. Though we were strangers to many, we felt the love of Jesus through his people here in Greensburg. This has to continue to be our duty. We can't let up. As we see more and more Christ followers coming to this city, we have to open our homes to them, welcome them in, support them, support the ministry. We're all here to do the same thing, to grow and advance the kingdom of God. And this is what uh, the word is calling us to here today. To be open and welcoming to Christ followers who are strangers to us, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to be hospitable to them. That's what Peter is telling us here in verse 9. As we move through and get back our, our eyes back on the text, we continue to our final duty that Peter gives us. Read with me in verses 10 through the first part of verse 11 says this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. How many of you know that if you've been in service with us here a while, you, can, you know that I often reference the King James Version of a text that we're working through. There are often times, I do this because there are often times that the KJV version is a bit easier for us to understand. It's a bit more clear in the text. And this is one of those moments that the ESV kind of seems a little jumbled here when we read, uh, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. What's that mean? Well, if we read the King James Version of this text, it breaks it out a little longer which makes it easier for us to understand. Look with me. We'll have it on the screen here. The KJV translation of verse 10 through the first part of verse 11 says this. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man ministers, let him do it as the ability to which God giveth. So what he's saying here is all of us who follow Jesus have a unique set of gifts. Right? These gifts are unique to each individual. As the word of, uh, says that these gifts were given to us by the manifold grace of God. Right? These were gifts that the Lord bestowed upon us as Christ followers to use. And the Apostle Paul discusses these gifts in Romans 12, verses 4 through 8, which we'll again have on the screen here. Romans 12, 4 through 8 says this. Paul says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service is our gift in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Right, we are called to steward the gifts that God has provided to us appropriately, not to waste them, but to use them as the Lord has intended. Right, Peter states that if any man speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. Right, whoever speaks, speak the words and the commands of the Lord. This is an example that Peter's using to instruct men who are called to preach the word. He's instructing them, if you're called to speak, then only speak the words of God. 
The point being made here is that we are to use the gifts the Lord has provided us with in the manner in which he has called us to use them. Again, these gifts are unique to each of us. Now, these are talents or skills that we are to use to serve Jesus and to grow the kingdom, whether it's playing music, as you saw many of our worship band up here this morning leading us in worship. Maybe that's a skill that the Lord has, has gifted you with, and you use it to serve him in worship and to leading his people in worship. Maybe it's painting, or maybe you're a great carpenter or a great mechanic. Each of us has a unique skill that the Lord has given us to glorify him, to serve his people, and to serve his church. Here, Peter's calling us to use that skill to serve in the ways that he has commanded us in his will. If you're unsure in this room what your gift might be, you might be sitting here going, I don't, I don't know what gift I have, what, what am I good at? I encourage you this week to just spend time focusing in on prayer and asking the Lord how he wants you to serve using the gifts that he's given you. Right? Take some time this week, sit down in prayer with God, say, Lord, what gifts do I have? Show me the gifts that I have. How do you want me to use these gifts to serve in my community, to serve in the church, but above all things, to lead people to you? And I encourage you to do that, to make it clear in what gift he has given you and how he wants you to use it, because this is our duty. Peter's telling us this, this is our duty, that we are to use the gifts the Lord has given us, we are to steward them well, to use them for the things that he's called us to use them for. As we look back on these duties that Peter is calling us for, for us to fulfill as Christ followers, as we look at all of these things that we've been told, these four duties that Peter's given us, why is he calling us to, to do these things? Right, why is he calling us to these duties? Why is he calling us to fulfill these roles? Why are we being called by God's word to live this way, to fulfill our duty? Well, he tells us that in the second half of verse 11. He tells us that we are to be of sound mind, be fervent in love, be hospitable, be good stewards of gifts in order, the second half of verse 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our final duty always is to glorify the Lord. All right, our motivation to do all these things that the word has commanded us to do this morning is to bring glory to Jesus. Right, when we are a people enduring persecution, enduring suffering, and are still of sound mind, are still fervent in love for one another, are still hospitable, are good stewards of the gifts the Lord has forgiven us, even when we're in suffering, even when we're being persecuted, people will want to know how we are able to hold fast to those things. Even though you're being unrighteously persecuted for good, how is it that you're able to still have a sound mind, to love one another? People want to know how we're able to do this. And when they ask that question, we can tell them that we were armed and ready for this. We were armed and ready to respond to suffering and persecution and to complete our duty as Christ followers, by Jesus and through his word in 1 Peter. Because the one who suffered first for us 
and completed his duty is the one we placed our faith in. The one who we abide in, the one who we serve and follow. And when we do that, church, right, when, we, when we do those things, the Bible tells us the Lord will be glorified. Right, the duty that we're fulfilling, that Peter's calling us to here, will glorify the Lord. It will bring glory to the Lord. People will look upon us, see the acts in which we're doing, the duties we're fulfilling, the preparedness for this suffering, the way that we are responding uncommonly, and they will glorify Jesus because of it. And I want to take some time this morning as we round out our time together and just pray for that, that as we fulfill these duties, as we use our gifts and steward our gifts, as we love one another fervently, that the Lord is glorified in everything we do and everything we say, that Jesus is glorified, not us, but Jesus.